probably a little bit different for you guys, but what we're hoping to do is take the realities of everything that has been promised to us that are described in the book of Revelation in ways that words can't fully begin to, 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 to illustrate what it is that God has set in motion for us. And if you've ever been on a mountaintop and you've seen the broad vista, and you're like, man, I just wish this would go on forever, then you also know what it's like to come down to the ground level and recognize that it's not always as easy to capture that defining moment and carry it around with you in the everyday. And the book that we're looking at in this message series this summer, 2 Corinthians, is our way of trying to take that which is going on up there in the heavenly realm and bring it to bear upon what is happening here in the everyday, in your life and mine. And if you look at your bulletins, you'll see, of all, of all things, an odd picture that you wouldn't normally find in church, and that is a, a Dodge Challenger convertible. It could be anything, but basically it is just representative of the fact that we're on the ground level and we're asking the question, how do we take those things that so define us, that come from heaven, and make them a part of our everyday? How do we be different people? And if you're like me, you've had a few defining moments that when you look back in the rearview mirror of your life, you can say, yeah, when that happened, it seemed to have changed everything. And sometimes the defining moment is a good thing, and sometimes it's... Well, it's one that has a lot of disappointment and heartache with it. And maybe, maybe as you think about a defining moment, or as you hear me say those words, you're wondering, what, what in the world is he talking about, a defining moment? And it could be the day that um, you, you left home to go to college, or it could be the day that you started your first job, or it could be the day that you got married, or the day that you had children, and believe me, I can assure you, when that day happened, that was a defining moment, if there ever was a defining moment. And I can't even imagine what it's like to be a grandmother, or a Nona. Noni. Yeah, not Noni. I can't even imagine what that's like, because when I first met you, Becky, you were not a Noni. You said it, not me. So... Very defining, though, for sure. And then there are, there are those things that happen. Sometimes there are choices that we've made that we were like, yeah, I can't believe I did that. And that set into motion a whole lot of things I can't undo. Or something happened to us, and it changed everything. And I think defining moments can actually be used for good. And as we look at the book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul has a defining moment that he wants to share with everybody but he does so in a way that I think we can also gain some value from it. But just to illustrate it a little bit further for you, and kind of go into the personal uh, somewhat, uh, some of you know my two sons, uh, Stephen and Christian, are in the country of India, a place I'd never be interested in going, probably right around ever, but they decided it would be good. And there are a couple of reasons why I think that was the case. Uh, one was uh, my son Christian is a plant freak, fanatic, I'll be respectful, and evidently there's plants in the Himalayas in northern India that he wanted to look at. It's kind of like Colorado for us, the Himalayas are for them. 
and he wanted to drag his brother along, who just graduated from high school. So, in effect, in his mind, he could have a defining moment. That is, his brother, who's sort of a man-child, I think he would own that, who needs to grow up a little bit, but also is pretty tall, has to have a defining moment in his life that says, you're now transitioning from kind of a kid to learning to be responsible as an adult and have a way of life that is unfolding that you have to own. And his older brother said, maybe we can help him with that by dragging him off to India and maybe hoping that in the course of the summertime that they spend together, there will be some things that will be takeaways that when he looks in his own rearview mirror, he might even describe it as something like a rite of passage, where he went there as sort of a kid, but he came on the other side home as somebody who, well, who's kind of grown up a little bit. If you follow on, on Instagram, you'll notice that Stephen is even growing a little facial hair. So I don't know if that's symbolic of what's going on with him, or the fact that his brother said, don't bother packing a razor because you're not going to need it, because he doesn't have one. But there they are, if you ever wonder who I'm talking about, these two guys here. The one on the left is my son Christian, and the one on the right is my son Stephen. Christian just graduated college and Stephen high school. And does it look like Stephen is a little bit taller? That's what I thought. That, I'm sure, is making this part of their trip a little rough. Because there's a pride issue about one being taller than the other. And I'm not sure what happened after this picture, but it could have not gone well. But what's interesting is what's happening in the backdrop. Anybody recognize that structure? Taj Mahal. Do you know what the Taj Mahal is? Anybody know what the Taj Mahal is? It's not, a, it's a mausoleum. Do you know that? There's a dead person inside of there. If I can just be blunt. Um, it, you know, that's probably disrespectful. There is a, there is a dignitary who died in the 17th century who was the bride of a sultan and he had dedicated that space for her memory. And so he contracted architects and a whole bunch of workmen to create that structure so that for time memorial, when people came to India, they would recognize the feature of the landscape that stood out more than anything else, the Taj Mahal, and they would remember uh, his bride. And her name was uh, uh, Mitztaz Mahal. Doesn't mean anything to any of us. Matter of fact, we didn't even know that was a, that was a mausoleum, but we do know that that thing is there, right? And this guy wanted to make sure that it was such a defining moment in the landscape of humanity. Anywhere on the timeline, anybody could go back and say, "Oh yeah, that building. That's where that one guy's wife is interred." And you may be thinking, at least. From the point of view of history, I can now say that's a mausoleum to her, to, to, her, uh, to her memory. But even more so is how he wanted to secure that in the memory of everybody else. He, made, he took the architect who designed it, and then he took all of the workers that worked on it, and he had their hands cut off 
so that they would never again be utilized for building a clone of that structure. It was that important. Isn't that just barbaric? To say the least. Believe me, be thankful that you live in a country that as messed up as our country is, there are so many Christian underpinnings here that keep those things from happening, and hopefully that day will never depart from us. But in that situation, not so much the case. And so defining space and time is a monument that says, this happened there, don't you forget. And God, who doesn't, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't waste an opportunity. He leverages every defining moment that you and I go through. He finds ways to take those situations that are so overwhelming in good ways and bad and, and, and paint a picture for them so that when we look back at them, we can see over time he actually was working. Because God is the kind of God, even though he's up there, down here, he's orchestrating things together for good. Especially if we trust him. And we know that the outcome of that trust is some good for so many people even beyond ourselves. And if you've ever had a defining moment, maybe, maybe you're in this room as a result of one. But if you've ever had a defining moment... You know that it, 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 it changes the perspective that you have on life. And the Apostle Paul, certainly of all people, had one. If, if as uh, Melissa read the text, and as the praise team sang the song, what they were trying to do for us was re-dramatize an experience that people in heaven had or are having or will have in eternity, if you can put time on that. And essentially, it is capturing the glory of God and celebrating it. And for most of us, we're not going to have a moment like that to define our experience. But the Apostle Paul had something that was sort of like that. He was going down the road looking for Christians. He didn't want to just cut the hands off of people. He just wanted to kill them if they were Christians. And as he was doing that, Jesus showed up one day on the road to Damascus. And completely blinded him in such a way that he couldn't see for three days. Now trust me, if that ever happens to any of you guys, I would, I'd be shocked if you said, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. That happened to me one time. No, he never forgot about it. It so emblazoned itself upon his psyche that it just it, it, it redirected him and changed him in ways that led him to do, do the unthinkable. And... The unthinkable that he did, he did for a group of people in the church called Corinth. But he also expanded that out into space and time into a church called First Christian Church. And what he did was he persevered under such circumstances that had his identity not been changed by that defining moment, we wouldn't be here today, probably. Or the likelihood of this happening would be very different than what it is. And if you come to church for any length of time, there are defining moments that I see happen on a, on a pretty frequent basis. Sometimes it's you are just humming along and everything is just great. 
And then all of a sudden, the unthinkable happens. You get a report about an illness that seems insurmountable. Or you're like our friend Patty Battaglia, who is thinking that two open heart surgeries are enough. But for whatever reason, God said, I know I'm going to allow this to happen, but trust me, I'm going to see you through it, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be glorified through this, and your, strength, your faith is going to be strengthened. Nothing that she would ever imagine. Yet I have to think that last Wednesday was a defining moment for her. Now you're in this room and maybe you've been here a long time and you had a defining moment that happened in this baptistry where there was a point in time where you said, I need to do that. I need to identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And I need to be born again. I need, I need to have a moment that says, that is when it happened. Well, let's just move into what the Apostle Paul said about these defining moments and try to figure out how it is it has any bearing on your life and mine because I truly think it will. In the scripture we read in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, verses 2 and following, these words. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time, and behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anybody's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, what? Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger by hunger. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now some of you may be thinking, up to this point in my time here at First Christian Church, I've been thinking about following Jesus. But when I read stuff like that happening to righteous people like Paul, I'm not so sure I'm interested in going down that road. It looks pretty painful. Well, one thing I can tell you is I haven't met too many Christians, or matter of fact, I've never met any, that have had experiences that were that severe. And so I can probably give you a little bit of assurance that likelihood at least all things being equal, that won't happen. But it did happen to him, and he still hung in there with it. And my, my belief is, the first few things that he talked about will also happen to each of us if they haven't happened already. Through afflictions, through trials, through difficulties. My guess is you may even be here because those things have been going on in your life. And you're seeking some help and some support from from God and from people that are like-minded and hopefully you're receiving that in a way that you're getting encouraged. Well, the Apostle Paul, he, he basically took everything that you and I experience and he expanded on that by saying, I'm even getting beaten up when I share the gospel. I'm getting imprisoned. I'm having people try to kill me. There have been assassination attempts made on my life as a result of this. And now, if you're tracking with us and you're maybe new to this, you're thinking, what kind of person would set themselves up for that? Unless they had some defining moment in their past that said, that stuff really doesn't matter in the scheme of things. It's not important. The perseverance that I'm doing in light of all that stuff, however, 
is. And what was so important for the Apostle Paul? He had a vision that if the good news of Jesus Christ on a bloodstained cross and through an empty tomb that represented his immortality that we in him will also receive, the Holy Spirit who is the abiding presence enabling you and I to turn from bitter and angry and, and jealous and on and on, all those dark places that we go into, turn from that to a place where we have where we have a joy and a peace and a contentment and a sense of perspective and we're tied into something much larger than ourselves. And Paul said, that is what I want to bring into the lives of the people who don't know it yet. And so here he is saying, all this stuff is happening to me so that I can take what I've been given and just like a parade route and throw in as much candy as you can possibly disperse in any given moment to just enable that to just be spread throughout the landscape of the North Mediterranean uh, countries. And as he's doing that, and people are beating him up left and right, and people are abusing him, and people are misunderstanding him, and even the church that he goes into is trying to kick him out, he's saying, for whatever weird reason, doesn't matter. Now, is that weird? Unusual? Certainly seems a little off, doesn't it? But for the Apostle Paul, he said to the contrary. Because the pain that I'm going through is nothing compared to the pain that so many people experience on any given day because they don't have God. Because they don't have Jesus in their life. Because they don't have hope. When a loved one dies, they go to the place where the body is being dropped down into the ground and they, they're like, I have nothing. And so much more in the day in and day out that changes everything because it is so defining. The Apostle Paul said, but by purity and knowledge and patience and kindness and the Holy Spirit and genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true. As unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished, and yet not killed or as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own. Let's just stop right there for a second. Go ahead and get that. Go away. Okay. Restricted in your own affections. Meaning that there are things in life that you love, but it's a pretty narrow band of things that you love that really are, are limiting you in so many ways and honestly keeping you miserable. Now, for me, I, I would love to have a Hemi Challenger converter. I'd love it. I think that would be awesome. You've heard that before. You're like, give it up. 
Thank you, Chuck. You're a true brother. Okay. Um, but ignore that voice in the back. I don't know who that was. But they just, okay. Um, but notice any of that stuff that would just cater to your affections, unless it has Jesus in the middle of it, it becomes something that will ultimately be your taskmaster. It'll be the thing that makes you miserable in the end, if that's even believable. Because it's not enough to help you with the things that you are going through in life. Whether it's just the condition of your own soul, whether it's your own anger or bitterness or rage or things we've talked about before, whether it's the people in your world that it's just not working out with. And Paul's like, the gospel is a huge resource for all of those things and more. It is so worthy to deposit that into the hearts of people who are willing to receive it. But therein lies the problem. Because in this, the apostle says, our hearts are open. They're just wide open. We're actually vulnerable here. We're making ourselves vulnerable here. Because it is so important. Our identity has changed. I used to be the Apostle Paul and I was well trained. I went to the best school. I sat under the most capable people that could teach me. I had a reputation. And people, when people said Saul, which is who I used to be, before I had an identity makeover, Saul, there's no one like him. There's even recorded in the history of the Jewish people a book called Josephus, a little tidbit about a guy that people just said, that guy, he's an A-gamer. He's got it together. He's going to change the world. And this is before he had his identity makeover. And they were talking about this guy that wrote this letter, who's now getting beat up at every turn because something happened in his life that said... Everything that I was before, and it was a pretty good reputation, and I was an up-and-comer, doesn't really matter anymore. It's not that important because I'm a different person. I've had a defining moment, and now my life has been redefined, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And it is so much better and so worth it. Even though I'm getting beat up, even though I'm having afflictions, even though I'm hard-pressed. Because inside of me, it's a whole different landscape. You open up this window here, and there's a lot of cool things happening inside here. Despite what's happening out there. Because my identity has changed. I am now a follower of of Jesus. I've surrendered my life to him. I've been baptized as an act of obedience so that I can identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And I can know in my heart, yeah, I, I know God's been with me and I know I'm saved and all that stuff, but I know that that moment was defining. It is when I can truly say, yeah, that was the day that I surrendered and identified with Jesus through baptism. And it's funny because I've been sharing the same message with the, 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 the crowd that meets in the 845 service. And I'm going on three baptisms with people that are 
in their 70s and older. Based on what I just said. Because my conversations have been, essentially, it's a new identity that is a marker in time through that experience. It's a defining moment. And one gentleman said, I need that. I, I can't say I've ever had that rite of passage where I can truly say, yeah, that's it. And then an, another gal last week said, I need that too. Because even though I know God's been with me, I need to identify with Him so that I can say beyond any doubt. And maybe I just need to say it to myself because God's not doubting. That was the day I, I surrendered and identified with His death, burial, and resurrection. So this morning I made an appeal to this crowd of people, assuming that you know they're kind of set in their ways. No, no offense to anybody who's you know getting up there, but some of them are. And this one gal said, I need, I need that. I need that to define my experience with Christ. I haven't allowed myself to go there. And now God is saying, yeah, I need that. Do I think that the act itself is going to save her? I honestly don't believe that. I only believe that Jesus saves. He does it however he wants to do it, but he does command us to get baptized. Why am I belaboring this point? Because the whole stop that we're on, stop number two in our Hemi Challenger with Jesus at the wheel, by the way, because we're putting him at the center of it, is this. When we look at who we are as followers of Jesus, it really matters. It matters that we can wake up every day and say, I'm a child of God. I'm part of the family of God. I know that when I die, I don't care what kind of funeral you have. You can have cremation, you can bury me and see whatever. I'm not there, I'm with the Lord. And I've just got a deep confidence about that. And I know that when things happen in the course of life, I can be confident rather than, well, uncertain. Because of the promises that Jesus has given me along the way. I can know that when God looks at me, no matter if I've got scars on my face or I've got problems in my personal life, God loves me as his child, and his son died for me, just like the love we talked about in the song. And there's so much that is bound up in our identity with Christ that changes everything. And the Apostle Paul said, I don't like every town I walk into, i got to ask these two questions. Well, can you tell me where the synagogue is so I can go and share the gospel? And... Can you tell me where you keep the prisoners at? Because probably that's where I'll be sleeping tonight. And he's just saying these are the costs that are required in this. And it doesn't bother him. But you know what really bothers him? It's the thing I pray for every Sunday before I come into this room. It's the thing that worries me the most. It is the thing that I think that bothers God more than anything. And you know what it is? It is the willingness that each of us have to receive the things of God. And I don't know about you, but I like being in control of my life. I like me being in control and having God at my convenience. That's my base instinct. But as a follower of Jesus, I'm learning, I'm learning 
to receive from him whatever it is that I need to receive from him and trust that if I do, he always has my best interest in mind and he has yours as well. But I'm not always open to hearing it. And Paul was very concerned about this that he says in the next verse, and this is where we're going to end this message. He says, in return I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. And when he says as to children, he's not trying to be insulting as much as he is trying to create a posture of trusting like a child. And how can I illustrate this but maybe talk about one of my kids again? You're a parent and you've had a defining moment where you babysat kids or you've had a one-year-old or a two-year-old that you've been responsible for for any length of time, you'll understand what I'm getting ready to say. When Stephen was in his ones and twos, he was very picky about what he wanted to eat. And so we put food on his little plate and he would just smear it all over his face. I actually have a picture of that because I said, honey, we're recording this so we can show this later on. And I, and I, I couldn't find it. I was going to show it. But just trust me when I say that when it was time to eat, it was time for him to put on the makeup. So today we're having smashed potatoes all over our face. And it got to be such a routine that we're thinking this kid is never going to get the nourishment that they need. He won't open up his mouth. You know, you got the spoon, you got the food, you're trying to put it in. Mm -mm. Turn your head, all of that stuff. And it becomes exhausting, honestly. You're, you're, you're trying to do something for their own best interest because you want them to grow up and go to India or whatever, but you know that that route will never happen if they don't eat. And so you're like, they don't want to eat, they don't know what's good for them, but we got to find a way to, to bypass their defenses. And God is working to bypass defenses all the time in you and I. And so interestingly enough, I remember one time we got, the, we got the, the spoon, we got the food on it, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm nibbling on it a little bit, and I'm just thinking, oh, this is awful. But for a kid's taste buds, they evidently are just the bombs. And, and so I'm, I'm thinking, how can I get him to eat this? And I remember just being so exhausted from him taking a lot of energy, just tilting my head back and going, yawning. And kids, you know, the funny thing about kids, they love to imitate you. They're little mimics. So what does he do? And I'm like, that is our opportunity right there, honey. In you go. And the kid at first resisted, got mad, but then he's like, oh, that's what that tastes like. And then naturally he just wanted some more because he eventually opened up enough to see that what we were offering was in his own best interest. And it, not only that, it actually was was appealing. And so often when it comes to the Word of God, we try to share the Word of God, and God tries to share the Word of God with, with each of us, and in the process, sometimes we're willing to receive it, and sometimes we're like, nine about that. And God is just thinking, how can I, how can I work through what you're going through so that you'll get the nourishment that you need? Some of you think, well, I'm going through this because God hates me and he wants to punish me. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, God sometimes gives us over to our own devices and says, 
once you figure it out, you're going to learn to be wise. But I think what God's doing is he's essentially saying, I want nothing more than to feed you, than to help you to grow to see you thrive. But you got some pretty strong defenses there. And you're not letting much of me in. And God's not going to just, I mean, could I, in good conscience, go up to Stephen in that moment and say, all right, kid, this is the way it's going to be. And I just grab his head, open his mouth, and I just say, Mom, just dump the whole jar in there right now and he'll figure it out. I could do that. But honestly, that's inhumane. And it's a violation of his will. And on and on it goes, it's just not good. And God doesn't do that to you and I. But he has a goal. And each of us are in process, he hopes, of realizing that goal. And that is to make us his family forever. And there's a lot of people who don't want to be part of God's family ever. But I would also add they don't know what's good for them. Because they've never tasted it to begin with. Or if they have tasted it, maybe they're like, yeah, but I want to stay in charge. And that's fine. But God is saying to us, you got to trust me on this. But if I'm giving you food to eat through my word, through the things that I've taught you about my son, this is stuff that is designed to take into your being. And I can guarantee you, it will help you go from being that infant to that very tall person in the Lord. And so my prayer going into this message is that your hearts will be open. And that whatever it is that God's been able to say through me and the shortcomings of my ability to speak, and hopefully in the way that the things I've said have resonated with them, my prayer has been that yeah, you would be open too. That the heart that God's given you would be open. For my friend Patty Latalia, for a long time she just couldn't quite trust. And then it was so cool to see her in deep pain to say, the best place in the world is in the Lord. I honestly don't think I would have heard that out of her lips first time I met her. It might have been something she said, kind of like, yeah, that's religious speak. But when somebody is in excruciating pain, and they don't like using words, and they're just going to offer you a few, and that's what they give you back, you know what that tells me? She's been feeding on the Lord, and it's been good. And I wonder... Have you opened up your heart enough to allow him to begin to feed you? And if he has, have you had a defining moment in your life that's led you to this place where you're like, yeah, I've tried a lot of things and God really is the only answer in all of it. And I need to, I need to solidify that relationship. Or maybe God's saying, let's create one together at the baptismal so that you can say once and for all and everyone around you can say once and for all 
That, my friends, was a defining moment. God may be calling you to surrender in a variety of different ways your heart to Him, and one of them may be just that. He may be asking you, what's, what's keeping you from moving into that place? And I'm here to help you in that process however I can. The studio's there. Brian, anybody that looks like they know what they're doing around here, we're all here trying to accomplish the same thing, if we can. And that is, allow that thing that you've been taking in to begin to grow. And we want to just foster that as much as we humanly can, as God divinely, divinely, divinely works through this defining moment. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the conclusion of our time in your word, and we look at somebody like the Apostle Paul, we realize, Father, that there was something driving him that was epic, that helped him to see the stuff that was happening to him. It's not quite as substantial and significant as we once thought after all. But that when you are at the center of it all, Lord, and you begin to define every moment of our lives, everything changes. I pray, Father, that in this room there are those who are clearly in your family. And there are those who I, I honestly don't know. And I just ask that if we could create that defining moment together through the act of baptism as a means of identifying with you, Help us to lead whoever in this room is, in your eyes, needing to take steps in that direction. Help those who are struggling with that, to being open, to feel your nudge, and to be led into that space. And help us all together, as we've had our lives redefined together, to be the people that are filled with love and joy and peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then help us to be those kind of people. So that those who are living in darkness can find what Paul offered his life for. And we offer today, as your son offered his life on our behalf for us. I pray that you help us to make that connection. In Jesus' name.